Our topic this week, out of the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, Grasping the Hem of the Garment. Now, the, uh, the Zechariah 8, we did uh, a part of Zechariah 8 last week. There's another part of Zechariah 8, really not connected together. It's not like a two-parter or anything like that, but just to let you know, that, so we're going to be jumping in at verse 18. It's kind of a totally different uh, prophecy that's being given here. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Now, we looked at this uh, verse um, a few weeks ago when we were doing either chapter 7 or chapter 6 where it talks about uh, the fast. We Some people... Uh, we read about people coming to Jerusalem and to ask, should they continue to fast for these fasts regarding the destruction of the temple? Now that the temple in Zechariah's day was being rebuilt, and so once it's finished, then we don't really need to fast anymore, right? And that's what their main question was. And so it was covered a bit in, in that chapter, but now here in this chapter and in this verse, uh, God expands on this premise a little bit more. And so he mentions four different fasts here. The fast in the fourth month, uh, had to do, which correlates with about our, our June, uh, had to do with when the wall of Jerusalem was breached. So all of them have to do with the destruction, basically, that took place under Nebuchadnezzar and events there near, near that time. So the breaching of the wall was in that fourth month. Uh, and the fifth month was when the temple was burned, and that's Tishba'ah that, uh, that we observed together and is still remembered as a fast today. Uh, because of the burning of the second temple as well on that same date. Then the fast in the seventh month, that had to do with the murder, or murder, uh, murder of uh, Governor Gedaliah, who was placed as governor over Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple and destroyed the city. Uh, he had appointed him as a leader over that, and then he was murdered, and so they were fasting for that. And so now in this chapter 8 of Zechariah, we're over 70 years since that time, and they've been fasting each year during these months. And then the fast in the 10th month was when the siege first began against Jerusalem. So they were, you know, mourning the siege taking place, mourning the walls being breached, mourning the, the destruction of the temple, and the mourning of that murderer of that governor. Um, and, uh, and that's good that they had those things in remembrance. That is a good thing for us to remember uh, tragedies in our past, especially when uh, it was a result of our sins, so a form of repentance of that and, and, uh, and asking God to restore things and to bring things right and make things right. And then 70, over 70 years later, the temple was being restored and was being rebuilt, and then God saying here that those fast days, what was at one time negative and, and caused mourning, is now going to be turned into joy. So God will work all things together for good to those that love God, those called according to his purpose. So some of our lowest times on this earth will become our brightest times and our, the, the strongest times in our lives, times that we look back on where we learned the most, where we grew the most, where we benefited the most, even though it was the worst experience you know, that we could think of when we were going through it. And so it was a horrible time and we were mourning it. And God says here, I'm going to turn it into joyful, gladful, cheerful feasts full with gladness and, and, and love and truth that'll bring about peace. And true peace only comes through truth. 
right? So love, truth, and peace. And it's only as we love truth. God's word is truth. Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's only through him that we get to real peace. If we want peace in, in this earth, if we want peace in our lives, we want peace in our social setting, in our relationships, we want peace in our heart, we want peace in our mind, we want to be able to have security, we want to have fulfillment, we want to have uh, inner joy, regardless of situations, regardless of troubles, the only way to get there is by acknowledging truth, by walking in his truth. The whole truth, all of it, the whole Genesis to Revelation, not just a portion here or there, but accepting all of God's word and allowing it to be applied into our lives, coming through Yeshua. And not just for forgiveness, but also for uh, the Holy Spirit's power to transform and change us day by day, moment by moment, more and more into his image. And then again, the worst times in our lives, the times that caused us to confess and repent of our sins, the the areas where we blew it the worst, or the areas where we were hurt by other people's sins the worst, God will work out tremendous healing and turn them into joyful, glad times of rejoicing and joy, and bring about true, 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 true lasting peace in our lives, if we allow it. If we surrender them to God, if we give them over to God, we turn them over to God and let him transform that mess. It's like he transforms our messy lives. Transform that individual mess, again, that was done to us or that we committed. Allow him to turn it and change it. And that's what he's going to do to this earth. Right? It's a mess. It's a mess right now. And it's getting worse all the time. He's going to transform it and make all things new. And the new heavens and a new earth. Transforms. He makes things beautiful again. It's a wonderful promise. And then to verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. What a wonderful promise. Again, at a time when Zechariah is prophesying, the city is basically still desolate. The temple's starting to be rebuilt, but still there's a lot of work to do just for the temple, as well as the, the walls aren't built, the city isn't built, the farms aren't, aren't uh, fixed up yet, the houses and the villages aren't done yet, the nation doesn't have an army yet, and yet he's saying that inhabitants are going to come, many inhabitants from many cities, and they will come from di various different cities, and they will come again to Jerusalem. They will come again and rejoice together, and they will say, let us go and let us pray before the Lord. And I will go. Even if no one else goes, I'm going to go. I'm going. Come on along with me. And that has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled after that time. The temple was rebuilt. And more and more people did come back from, from Persia and started to join with the people of God. And people were born there. And we continued on. And down to the time of Yeshua. And the city was full and overflowing with people. The country was established and strong and during the time of the Maccabees, prior to that, had a strong army defending the nation. Established again, miraculous. After 70 years of desolation, God rebirthed. Again, turned what was horrible and turned it into glory. And then after almost 2,000 years of desolate again, God has returned the city. He has returned the nation and filled and overflowing again amazing fulfillment of prophecy and people coming and saying, let us go and let us pray and let us seek the Lord. We can have that fulfilled in our lives and 
And we have seen it. We've, God has used us in, in inviting other people to come to services and blessing them and telling them, I'm going, you come along too. What God has called us to do, let it be multiplied. Don't keep it to ourselves. Don't be selfish. Share it with others. Like those lepers uh, back in the book of Kings where they, 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 the Syrians were chased away. They heard a noise and they got fearful and they ran away. They had siege over, over Jerusalem. And these lepers went out into, and they saw the tents and they were empty and they took all the food and they were eating all the food and they were putting on all these clothes. And they said, you know what? We're being selfish here. We're keeping it to ourselves. And inside the city, they're starving from the siege. And so they went and told them so that they can benefit from as well. Don't just take the blessings of God and keep it to ourselves. We need to share with others. We need to invite others. Come and pray to the Lord. Come and know him. Come and read his word. Come and rejoice in his love. Accept his salvation. I'm going to heaven. You come along too. Invite him along. Bring him on. There is eternal life. There is meaning to life. There is a better place than this place here now. Come along and join me. Marching to Zion, upward to Zion. Following the Lord. I have decided to follow Yeshua. No turning back, no turning back. Even if no one else joins, but invite him anyway. Come along, come. Come and hear the word of the Lord. Come up to the mountain of the Lord. Come up to the high place of the Lord. Come to Calvary's Hill and learn of his salvation. Learn of his forgiveness. Come and receive the Holy Spirit. Come into the upper room and receive the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with his glory. Be lifted up. Up in the heavenly places in Yeshua the Messiah. Come along for the journey. As we say, it's Shalom Adventure. Come for the adventure, you'll stay for the shalom. Right? Come on along, come for the adventure, come along. And God has fulfilled that. Amazing prophecy, again, written at that time, amazing. People can be looking at Zechariah, what are you, nuts? There's gonna be a tourist destination that people are gonna come here? People are gonna to wanna to come here? For what? But they have, and have continued to. And in verse 22, yes, Many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to pray before the Lord. Right? He starts with yes, as if they didn't believe him in verse 18 and 19, or 20 and 21, right? Yes, I'm telling you the truth. Yes, not only are people going to come, not only an individual from a city and a village and come and say, no, even in addition to that, many people and strong nations, not just from our own nation, not just from our own cities, but other nations are going to come and they're going to pray before the Lord in Jerusalem. Strong nations, leaders of nations. And today that's being fulfilled. Leaders of nations are coming to Jerusalem and praying before Jerusalem. And like I have pictured there, we have President Trump and, and First Lady Melania Trump praying at the Western Wall. The first U.S. president to ever pray at the Western Wall. Yes, as president. There were others who went before they were president, but then once they got, became president, I guess they figured they didn't need prayer anymore or whatever. I don't know. They, they wouldn't come after they were president. But not President Trump. Even after he was a president, he went and prayed at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. 
God's fulfilling prophecy. Over a 2,000-year-old prophecy. Peoples, strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Absolutely amazing for God to say that. Again, he's saying it to a nation that didn't have an army, to a city that didn't have walls. There was no airport, there was no train station, there were no roads even there to that, to that place anymore. I'm sure any camel or donkey trails had all been grown over in 70 years. And he's saying, yeah, leaders of many nations, many people are going to come here to Jerusalem. It's amazing they didn't lock them up in a straitjacket. But God's word is truth. What might seem ridiculous, what might seem amazing, what might seem unheard of, God brings about. This promise, as well as all the amazing promises that he gives to us, the most unbelievable promises that he gives to us, that he can transform our lives, that he can change our lives. Fortunately, that's not believed anymore. Even among Bible believers, it's not believed that God can change our lives. There's even a backlash against Anyone who tries to attempt to change someone's life by the word of God. Anyone who tries to teach that God can change your life. Doesn't matter how you were born. Doesn't matter what type of attractions you have. Doesn't matter what kind of desires you have. Doesn't matter what kind of affiliation you feel. God can change you. And make you normal. According to his word. According to how he's originally created us to be. No, 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 no. Even some places, laws against telling people that God can change their lives. But God can. And God will. And God does. And God has. And God will continue to do so. Regardless of what laws are made, regardless of how it's taught and mistaught, God's still at work in this world. He is still fulfilling his promises. Verse 23, the Lord of the heavenly armies says, 10 men of all languages of the nations will grab a hold of one Jewish person by the hem of his garment and say, let us go with you, for we heard that God is with you. And so it's like Zechariah, God is telling Zechariah, and he's continually expanding on this premise. One person's going to come from a village and he's going to invite another person. And many people from strong nations are going to come. And ten people from all the languages of the nations of the earth are going to come and grab a hold of one Jewish person by the hem of his garment. Let us go with you. We have heard that God is with you. The heavenly armies. Again, they didn't have an army then, so they're thinking, we don't even have an army then. We're surrounded by enemy armies. We can't even protect ourselves. And God is reassuring them, don't worry, I am in charge of all the armies, the heavenly armies which is more powerful than all the armies of the earth combined. Have no fear. Come under my wings. Come under my protection. And it says, ten men of all languages of the nations. Right? So not just the nations. Before it said strong nations. Now it's saying languages. There's many languages in many nations. Some nations have hundreds of languages and dialects. Ten men of all the languages. God's word is going out to all the different languages. Again, amazing fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible has been translated into 
almost all, if not all, of the main languages of the earth and many, many, many of the smaller languages and dialects of the earth. And it's continuing to do so and continuing to be translated and continue to be dispersed in written form, in audio form, because in a lot of places they're not even literate to even read their own language. But it's in audio form in places with little handheld solar devices that just have the sun keep it powered and they just push the button and they listen to the Bible. And they gather in groups and listen to the Bible. Amazing fulfillment of prophecy. God is writing here. That the languages are going to hear the word of God and be drawn to God. Drawn close to him. And it says ten men of all the languages. Now I don't think it's literal, but ten of every single language and that's all. But 10, why does he use the number 10? Now, if you use the word number 7, you might say, well, 7 is like completion, so all, but it's not going to be all people. But 10, what does 10 symbolize in the Bible? Well, we have the 10 commandments. So these 10 men or these 10 people are 10 people who are willing to follow the Lord and follow his laws as well. These are people of judgment. These are people of truth, who love truth and peace, that combination of truth and righteousness, of truth and grace, of law and grace, the truth together, the binding together. Ten people of the nations. Ten people who are seeking out God's truth, who want to know what the Word of God says. Not just come for the feeling, not just coming for the music, not just coming for the emotion, not just coming for some promise that I'm going to be blessed, but coming to walk in His truth, to follow His laws, to follow His commandments. Ten men of all the languages and nations of the earth grab a hold of one Jewish person by the hem of his garment. The hem of his garment very well could be talking about the outer garment, could be very well talking about the talit, the prayer shawl, is worn and held over. And we have it referred to in several different ways in the Bible. We have a, uh, well, for one thing, it, the white of the, of the talit, the covering over us of God's white purity. God's righteousness, covering our sin-sick souls. God's righteousness over us, covering over us. And the blue representing the law and, and gold representing uh, faith tried in the fire, pure, covering over us. Like the chuppah in a wedding, God's covering God's home over our lives. God's security, God's wings over our lives. And on the prayer shawl is, is the tzitzit. Hang down, and there's knots on the tzitzit. This is a tradition to have the knots on there. And uh, for example, I, I took uh, my talit to uh, a, a dry cleaners um, in St. Petersburg, Flamingo Dry Cleaners. And um, the lady there, Milka, that uh, does my suit, she said it would be $7 to do the talit. I said, okay. So I dropped off the talit. And I went back to pick it up, and she said, it's $27. I said, I thought you said $7. She said, it was $7, but $20 to take out all those knots. <laughs> so the knots, the knots represent the, uh, you count them right, the twistings and the turns and the knots, uh, and you add correctly and multiply and divide and 
and uh, square it a few times, you end up with 613. I forget the exact formula, but if you do it right, it comes out to 613, representing the laws of God, all the laws of God, that we're surrounded by the laws of God, that the laws of God protect us, that the laws of God are our boundaries, that the law of God is what keeps us secure, and so we know not to step out of his laws. So the symbolism there, and to remind us of God's laws. In uh, the books of Kings, it talks about Elijah and Elijah walking together, and God revealed that he's going to take Elijah away from Elijah, and Elijah stays close by his side, and not miss a moment with him. And eventually they come over to the Jordan River, and Elijah says, takes off his mantle, so his outer garment, maybe his prayer shawl, his talit, takes off his garment, rolls it up, and strikes the Jordan River, and the Jordan River parts, as it did for Joshua and the children of Israel. And they pass through on dry ground, and they go over, and as they're continuing over into Jordan, uh, the, uh, the uh, chariot of fire comes down. Well, before that, uh, Elijah says, before I depart, what would you like? And Elijah says, I'd like a double portion of the spirit that God has placed upon you. And Elijah said, well, that's a big thing. But if God lets you see me leave you, then that is assurance of the promise that you will have a double portion of my spirit. And sure enough, they're walking along and a chariot of fire comes down and whisks Elijah up. And as he's ascending up, he tosses down his mantle, tosses down his prayer shawl. And Elijah cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of fire of the Lord. And he picks up the mantle. He picks up the prayer shawl. He picks up the, the transferring of the prophetic gift from Elijah to Elijah, this time with a double portion of his spirit. And he comes back over towards the Jordan River, and he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he takes off the talit, and he strikes the water, and it also parts for him. Again, confirming and reconfirming God's gift that was then bestowed upon him, transferred upon him. And we can have that same spirit, the same spirit of the Lord that was upon Elijah. God wants to give that to us as well. Another account in the Bible that I'd like to tell another Bible historical story about. For this one, I'm going to take you on a little trip to Israel. We're going to get over on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to get on our little boat. We're going to cross the Jordan River. I mean, uh, the, sorry, the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to come to a little village there. And in this village, there's a uh, remains of a uh, pier and so boats came into this little village and caught fish and there were storage rooms there and area the docks and breakwater and also in this village is an amazingly preserved synagogue and you can see in the middle there a place to put the Torah scroll mosaics and paintings off in the left-hand corner, pillars and the seats all around the synagogue, very typical of ancient synagogues, sitting around and looking at each other and looking towards the center and looking towards the reading of the Torah. It's an amazingly preserved synagogue right in that city. And a mikvah in the village, you can see the remains of the village and the houses, the outlines of the houses. And this mikvah is right inside one of the houses. Now whose house 
would have a mikveh inside their house. A rabbi, right, yeah, leader of the synagogue. So it might very well have been the, the house of the leader of that synagogue that's just literally right across the way from this house, literal stone throw away from that house. And so I'd like to read you this account from the Bible that mentions all of these items and a fascinating story regarding the Talib. From the book of Mark, chapter five. And while I'm reading that, I'll, uh, we'll go sit down by the uh, waterside and we'll look out over the Sea of Galilee while I read this story. Yeshua had crossed over again by boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. Maybe the one who owned that house we were just looking at. Jairus, by name. So this man is mentioned by name, Jairus, and his position, leader of the synagogue. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Now, it's fairly a short distance from where the peers are to the synagogue or to his house. And Yeshua went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Yeshua, she came behind him in the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I may be wet, made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Yeshua, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Might not even felt the touch on his body, but who touched my clothes? felt the power go from him and heal this woman. And his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? There's so many people here, everybody's touching you, everybody's jostling together, we're all bumping against each other. You're asking, who touched you? And he looked around to see her. He knew who it was. He looked right at her, who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. Because if anyone had known that she was in the throng, that she was in the midst, she had this uncleanness in her, and she's contaminating everyone. She wants to just go quietly, quickly, and then hide it away. And now he's exposing her. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, while he was speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, you can imagine, it doesn't say, but Jairus would be so upset, so upset at this woman. Why did you delay Yeshua? Why, did you, why couldn't you wait until after he went and prayed for my daughter? I, didn't I ask him first? Wasn't I first in line? Wasn't he coming to my house? Why did you have to delay him? Why did you have to interrupt it? And now he didn't get there in time. But no, we don't have any record of that. Instead, as soon as Yeshua heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child. Oh, we hadn't heard the mother mentioned so far, right? but took the father and the mother and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. And he said, give her something to eat. Who is Jairus's wife? Who is the girl's mother? Maybe the mother of the girl. She had an affliction of blood for 12 years. Specifically mentions that. How old was the girl? 12 years. She's not mentioned before when Jairus goes out to see him, but then all of a sudden she's mentioned and is allowed into the house. Now, if that is the case, and it might not be, but if that is the case, and something happened in the childbirth. And she had an issue of blood ever since and was unclean. Unclean wife of the ruler of the synagogue. She might not have been allowed to live in the house, maybe. She might not have been allowed to touch the child. She might not have been able to sleep in the same room with her husband. She might not have been able to attend services for 12 years. And if she is the one, then on that same day, 
the Lord healed her of the affliction, raised her daughter to life, and in a sense, raised her twice. Now she had her mother again, able to touch, able to embrace, able to hug. Again, maybe for the first time in 12 years. God has amazingly preserved that story in the archeological. The stones are crying out of the truths of God's word. Back to our text in Zechariah. The Lord of the heavenly armies says, two men of all the nations will grab a hold of one Jewish person by the hem of his garment and say, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing not only Jewish people from Jewish cities coming to pray before the Lord and coming to the Lord and accepting the Messiah. We're seeing people of all nations coming and not only wanting to follow the Lord and accept the Lord, but also to accept the commandments as well. The whole truth, the whole body. Truth and law, righteousness and grace, blended together, coming together, of all the nations of the earth, of various different languages of the world, coming and walking in God's ways and rejoicing together. And I've seen it, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, you're Jewish, oh, teach me the word of God. Oh, you're so smart, you're so wonderful, you're, so, you're chosen and, and God has specially anointed you. And, and then after I talk to them for a little bit, and they're fully convinced that I'm not as smart as they had thought. Somehow they don't think I'm Jewish anymore. Then they determine, they know because they believe that the Jews are so smart and the Jews are so this and the Jews are so that. But that's not what the text says. It doesn't say 10 men of the languages of the nations will grab a hold of Jewish people by the hem of their garments and say, let us go with you for we have heard that you are so smart that God is with you, that you are so blessed. No. It says they, 10 men of all the languages of the nations will grab a hold of one Jewish person. And that one Jewish person is not me. That one and only Jewish person is Yeshua HaMashiach of the seed of David, of the seed of Abraham. He is the one that we grab a hold of. There's no magic in the Talit. There's no special magic charm or thing in the Talit. It's not healing in the Talit. There is healing in him. In him, in him alone, where the healing comes. In him, in him alone is where truth is known. In him, and in him alone is knowledge and wisdom and understanding and discernment. In him, and in him alone is healing and his salvation and his forgiveness and his power and is in the Holy Spirit. In him, in him alone. And God are, is using Jews and Gentiles coming together grabbing a hold of Yeshua by the garment and saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Becoming the Israel of God, the overcomers with God, the prevailers with God, prince and princesses with God, grabbing a hold of him and following him and him alone. 
There are some people trying to capitalize on this. And God is drawing, and God is using that to try and draw people. There are people out there trying to capitalize on that. Trying to make themselves something they're not. We are nothing. None of us are anything. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who is all that we are and whom we need to seek. As he told Nicodemus, even you, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. No matter how rich you are and talented you are and positioned you are and how long and how many generations of positions you've hold, held, it's nothing. It's meaningless. You still need to be born again. You still need to be born anew. You still need to have a whole new life. The old needs to die and be done away with. And everything has to be new, new and made new. And same in us. Come to the Lord. And so as we pray, in a moment when we pray, if you've been going through a time of mourning in your life, maybe you're still grieving some mistake that you made, maybe you're still bearing the consequences of that, maybe you're still feeling the guilt and the shame from it, and every anniversary it comes around or whatever reminds you of it or the season comes around and you're grieving it, Maybe some painful thing has been done to you. Maybe someone has broken your walls down, destroyed your temple, destroyed your home, destroyed your life. And you're reminded of that and still pained by it. And lay a hold of the promise that we read tonight. God will turn our times of fasting and mourning into joyful gladness and cheerful festivals as we walk and love his truth and find his peace. And so if that applies to you, in a moment when we pray, surrender that troublesome time, surrender that dark memory, surrender that experience over the Lord, and let him transform it. I was speaking with someone just this week. His son was murdered five years ago. They sought out the murderer. And they've gotten together with that murderer. She's in prison. She's given her heart to the Lord. She's asked their forgiveness. They met, I think, about 60 times through mail and through phone. And then they went to the prison and they met her and immediately embraced each other. And he said that he, the feelings that he and his wife have for this lady is as close as they have for their own daughter. And now twice a year they go and they, they see her. A television documentary has been made on their story and I'm hoping to be able to have them here soon to give their testimony. The power of the Lord. They go into the prison. When they go and visit her, they, they spend three days speaking with the prisoners, giving the testimony of God's power and forgiveness. God can turn our darkest moments into his salvation for other people. Secondly, 
if you want to come up to Jerusalem, and I don't mean the literal Jerusalem, I mean the new Jerusalem right now. You can come with us to Jerusalem too, that'd be fine too. Be happy to have you join us in our trip next year. But for right now in prayer, if you want to come to God's holy mountain, God's mountaintop, and you want God to use you inviting other people to come as well. You want to say, Lord, I'm, you want to say, I'm going to the Lord. I'm going to seek him out. Come and join me. In a moment when we pray, let us ask for God's spirit to go before us, to soften their hearts and to give us the words and to open up divine meetings, divine connections that we run into people, whether at a gas station or wherever we are, our neighbor or relative. God gives us the boldness to speak his word and his truth with conviction. And he gives us lives that walk in truth and love and peace so that they want to follow as well. And third, if you want to grab a hold of God's garment, if you have an affliction, physical affliction, or emotional affliction, or mental affliction, or social affliction, maybe some separation between you and someone else, maybe a spiritual separation, spiritual affliction, maybe some sin in your life that you need God to heal you of, to deliver you of. Reach out and grab a hold and touch the hem of his garment and be healed. If you're sick and dying, emotionally and spiritually, and you need the Lord to say, little child, rise up and walk. If you need that newness of life, if you've lost the first love experience, if you need to be renewed in your spirit, then in a moment when we pray, cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me, I'm sinking. Save me, I'm dying. Or maybe like Jairus, maybe you have a relative. Maybe you have a friend who's dying spiritually. And you want to bring them to the Lord. You want to bring the Lord to them. In a moment when we pray, lift up their name. and Say, Lord, come and touch my daughter. Touch my son. Touch my friend. Touch my parent. Touch my brother. Touch my sister. Touch this person. They're dying. Heal them. Or if you're needing a double portion of God's Spirit, maybe you've been walking with the Lord, but you've never really felt and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit to give you victory over sins. You're continually struggling with sins, but you need that power, you need that double portion of God's Spirit to give you victory over sin and to make you a witness for Him, to go forth victorious for Him. You've received the early rain. You've received the forgiveness of sins, but now you need that latter rain. You need that power of the Holy Spirit to walk in His ways and to witness for Him, for the gifts and talents to be manifested through you. In a moment when we pray, ask for God's a double portion, the Spirit of God, that He paced upon Elijah 
to be placed upon you. If any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area that God's speaking to your heart and mind about, let's pray together and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you for these wonderful promises in your word. Thank you for bringing them to pass. And just as you brought to pass the building of the temple and the bringing the people to Jerusalem, so also you will bring to pass the double portion of your spirit upon us. So also will you bring to pass the healing of our lives and our souls. So also will you turn our mornings into joyful, festival, cheerful occasions. So also will you walk us in your truth and to peace. Lord, live in us and out of us. Heal us. And use us in witnessing for you. And draw people to your holy mountain. Draw people to heaven. And we claim your promise. If you be lifted up, you will draw all people onto yourself. And you have been lifted up. You've been lifted up on Calvary. You've been lifted up to heaven. You've been lifted up to your throne. Be lifted up in our lives and use us and draw all people onto yourself. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.